yet collected any memories, as if there were some sort of surface which accumulated these things and preserved them, and that's me. But you see, Alison superstition is related okay. to a much more ancient superstition. What are you doing? That the world consists of two elements, one of which is stuff and the other of which is form. <coughs> this is a myth based on a model of the world okay, but... which is fundamentally ceramic. God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground. And so there is a stuff, and so there are forms engraved in it or imposed on it or stamped on it like a seal is stamped on wax. What is stuff like apart from form? What is form like apart from stuff? All those problems which have bothered people for centuries are based on asking the question in the wrong way, on having used the wrong image for the process. Actually, uh, since nobody ever saw a piece of shapeless stuff, nobody ever saw a piece of stuffless shape, the whole thing really is saying that uh, they are the same. And uh, there isn't any necessity even to think of a difference between them. Even the contrasting words, form and substance, form and matter, are a nuisance. There is process. There is the flow of thought. And the flow of thought doesn't have to happen to anyone. There's a difference between thought and thinking. Experience. <laughs> does not have to beat upon an experiencer. There is no. <laughs> there is really. all the time simply the one stream going on. I'm trying to sell a smirk and I'm talking and to myself. And we are convinced to stand aside from it and observe it because we've been brought up that way. But you know, in your stream of thought and experience, I am an object. A very fleeting passing. And constantly also in my stream of experience, you also are people who come and go. Yeah, no, we're just disposing of our numbers. We are all, you see, living in the same world. We think there is me and there is an external world round But I am in your external world and you are in my external world. And if you think about that, you see we are all in one world, going along together. There isn't really the internal and the external. There is simply the process. It's very important to get rid of that illusion of duality between the thinker and the thought. So, why does there gotta find be duality? Who right? is the thinker behind the thoughts? Who is the real, genuine you? No, I know who I am, but like, versus so one of the who sent you used, guys to come talk to me? It's a good question. I know because, like, I don't know if it's real. The Zen master would say to a student, Now, I want to hear you. I want to hear you say the word move <laughs> and really mean it. Cows can move. Can I want you? to hear not just the sound, but the person who says it. Now, produce for me that. He goes, Move! And the Zen teacher says, No, no, not yet. Move! And he says, It's only coming from your throat. <laughs> I want to hear your belly. <laughs> As always, you see, it will never come while the person is trying 
This exact reason Until is why God chose me, know how to apply it in all even situations. if it was the wrong person saying the right things. Yeah. Fucked him up. Uh, he said I'm out of here. He fucked him up. This is the Pharaoh's, the prince's ancient artifacts. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. A lecture on Zen is always something oh, Yeah, you do. Look at all that drool. But I could say the same about you. You guys are just it trying really to make that drool. Oh. I know. Which I'll be talking about. Mm. Heard. But one must remember at the same time <laughs> that there's really nothing at all. Why are you drooling so much, huh? And the whole art of poetry. Mm. is to say what can't be said. So every poet, every artist, feels when he gets to the end of his work that there's oh, something absolutely essential that was left out. So Zen has always described itself as a finger pointing at the moon. In the Sanskrit Nature, and where that is becoming light. Wait, we can't listen to music. Oh. Oh. 
normal hypnosis under which almost all of us go round like somnambules. It's extraordinary how much interest has existed in the United States. Oh no. Especially he the hiccups, he's trying to talk to you and he's having a hiccup and he ain't pissed him off. Naturally, I've often meditated on the reasons for this interest. I think, first of all, the appeal of Zen lies yeah, in its unusual quality of humor. How does that feel? Religions aren't, as a rule, humorous in any way. Religions are serious. And when one looks at Zen art and reads Zen stories, it is quite apparent that something is going on here which isn't serious in the ordinary sense, however sincere it may be. The next thing I think that has appealed to Westerners is that Zen has no doctrines. There is nothing you have to believe, and it doesn't moralize at you very much. It's not particularly concerned with morals at all. It's a field of inquiry, rather like physics. And you don't expect a physicist to discuss authoritatively about morals, even though as a human being, he has moral interests and problems. But as a physicist, he is not a moral authority. Or if you go to an oculist or ophthalmologist to have your eyes adjusted, <laughs> that is so you can see clearly. Mm -hmm. And Zen is spiritual ophthalmology. Tell them too many times. Still don't work. Another thing that appeals very much to Western students about Zen is that they've read their Zen from Suzuki and from some of my writings from R.H. Blythe, and these people present a rather different kind of Zen from that which you will find today in Japan. They present what is essentially early Chinese Zen, from the old writings, ranging from about shortly before 700 A.D. to 1000 A.D. And that Zen has a very different flavor from modern Japanese Zen. So, of course, many of the people who go to study Zen in Japan disapprove of Dr. Suzuki thoroughly, and also mentally my exposition of Zen. Because we don't make a great fetish of studying Zen by sitting. In Japan today, they sit and they sit and they sit. R.H. Blythe asked the Zen master, what would you do if you had only one half hour left to live? And he said, I would do Zazen which means he would sit like the Buddha here and uh, practice meditation. And the Blythe had given him several choices. Would you like to listen to your favorite music? Would you have a dinner? Would you get drunk? Would you like the company of a beautiful woman? Uh, would you take a walk? What would you do? Or would you just go on with your daily business as if nothing was going to happen? In other words, would you wind up your watch? So he was very disappointed in this answer. And he said, you know, sitting is only one way of doing Zen. Buddhism speaks of the four dignities of man. Walking, standing, sitting, and lying. And so Zazen is simply the Japanese word for sitting Zen. 
There must also be walking Zen, standing Zen, and lying Zen. You should know, for example, how to sleep in a Zen way. That means to sleep thoroughly. Zen has been described as when hungry eat, when tired sleep. And when the student got that description, he said, well, doesn't everybody do that? And the master said, they don't. When hungry, they don't just eat, but think of 10,000 things. When tired, they don't just sleep, but dream innumerable dreams. So in a sense, this sounds like the old Western truism. Whatever you your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. But that's not the same thing as Zen. A lot of people like to see if they could sum up Zen in that way, in the Latin motto of the school I used to go to in England, Age dum agis, act when you act, or while you act. There's a famous story which beautifully illustrates the current relationships between East and West. Paul Reps, who wrote, uh, or rather drew, a lovely book called Zen Telegrams, once asked a Zen master to sum up Buddhism in one phrase. And he said, don't act, but act. So Reps was simply delighted, because he thought the master had said, don't act, but act. That, of course, would be the Taoist principle of Wu Wei, of action in the spirit of not being separate from the world, realizing so fully that you are the universe, too, that your action on it is not an interference, but a, an expression of the totality. But the Master's English was very bad indeed, and Paul Reps had misunderstood him. He had said, don't act, bad act. <laughs> and you know, that is the sort of attitude that all clergy develop over the centuries. You know how it is when you go to church, if you do. So often the sermon boils down to, my dear people, you ought to be good. Everybody knows that. Hardly anybody knows how. Or even what good is. The fascination of Zen for the West is that it promises a sudden insight into something that is always supposed to take years and years and years. The psychoanalysts, if you're mixed up, they tell you troubles you've got yourself into over all these years can't be undone in a day. Therefore, it will take many, many sessions, maybe twice a week for several years for you to get straightened out. The Christians say that if you embark on a path of spiritual discipline, you get yourself a spiritual director and uh, submit yourself to the will of God, but you may not get into the high states of contemplative prayer for very many years. The Hindus, the Vedanta Society people, the Buddhists, also say will require many long years of meditation, very hard concentration, very difficult practice, and stern discipline. Then maybe you will make enough progress in this life 
you become a monk in your next life, then you'll make enough progress to enter some of the preliminary stages leading to Buddhahood. But it's all likely to take you many, many incarnations. But when this artist Asagawa was asked, how does one see into Zen? He said, it may take you three seconds. It may take you 30 years. And so you see, there is always the possibility that it may take only three seconds. Zen literature abounds with stories, you see, in which there's a dialogue, or what is called in Japanese, mondo, which means question answer, between a Zen teacher and his student. And these dialogues are fascinatingly incomprehensible. You gotta put your boots on. But it always seems to be that the end of this swift interchange, the student gets the point. <laughs> Sometimes he doesn't. He can wear his other ideas. The red monk. I gave a book uh, of these dialogues once. Where? The red hat. He said, I haven't understood a word of it. When he had a mystery. Yeah. It's okay, buddy. Hey. Here. I got a so TV. It hurts, huh? Yeah. The barrier with no gate. Mm -hmm. Or the gateless gate. There you go. There the you go, buddy. Your hat got both. Your hat got little puffy things on. Zen students are not monks. Our monks. Mama make a bottle. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Don't kill the lily. Mm -hmm. 
Yep. Like, you this yep. thing on him. This one? I fucking hate them. All these stories resemble grapes in this sense. The dirt is cold and makes you laugh. Oh, when you get the point of the dirt, you laugh spontaneously. But if the point has to be explained to you, you don't laugh so well, you force a laugh. No. There is some kind of subtle metaphor between the punchline and the laugh. So in exactly the same way with these stories, there is expected to be something else from laughter, which is sudden insight into the nature of being. Nature of being, my son. They get very abstract. Father, they show what you're both. So, Come on, another story in this book concerns the master who said, when a cow walks out of the enclosure, it's alive. The horns and head, the four legs and the body all get free, but not the tail. How is it that the tail can't get free? Because there is no food, sir. Another story tells of a certain master called Baijang. He was so good that he had hundreds of students. They couldn't all be housed in one monastery. So he had to find one of the students who could also be a monastery. He figured it out. So he went to confess. He put down a picture. I'm sorry. I really am sorry. No, I am. I, 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 I've let technology almost take over because of my only friend. I'll tell you if you don't think of it. Well, besides you and me, like, we just carried each other's faces a lot. But the monastery cooked cake for it. And he took it over and walked away. He got the job. And the commentator remarks, maybe he wasn't so smart after all, mm -hmm. so he gave up an easy job to a little bit
we uh, want you to we want to tell you what the rules are so that you know your way around and uh, when you've understood what rules we're playing by when you get older you may be oh these are my rules hold on baby hold on we just got knocked off course mommy i need you need a hand don't let it fall for me okay? I mean, I just gotta, I just gotta hop up out of that box because um, he fucked me up. Like he actually, like I would, I could sit with him, but I think I would irritate him. Oh, that man, I would irritate him. And that's why, I, that's why I practice talking to uh, TV and music. So like, if I ever got a radio job, I'll be able to handle. You know what I mean? Lucius. Okay, I'm sorry for that. Lay down. I'm done.
In a year unlike any other, we discovered new ways to strengthen our connections. And when communities needed help, we used our creativity to lend a hand. We led movements and... Go in the room. Hey, dude. 
Tigers hot.
in this shit But I stand for these kids Like they stand for the kid Understand that we could Crack a beer When we done a piss I just feel like I got this. It's not you, but it's just my personality. Ever since my songs went flat, I'm like, it's like the found a filter like Visco. Hey, but it's so. Not everything is just my personality. You need a little help. It's a word. Let's 